Hi everyone. Listening to these podcasts may bring up some strong emotions for you. Please allow yourself to find a comfortable space and reasonable time afterwards for nurturing and self-care. Thanks for listening. Now, one of the most challenging situations as a parent and sometimes as a child is communicating with each other. Uh, For some reason, having a child and even a parent understand your side and your reasoning can be very difficult. I mean, it's one thing to communicate, but how do you know you're communicating in a way your child or your parent can understand? Effective communication is what we're talking and what we're looking into today. And to help share her expertise on the topic of effective communication, uh, she is a practice counselor with over 20 years of experience on her belt, as well as an author on the title Good Bad Feelings Diary, Jen Bayless. How are you going today, Jen? I'm good. Thank you, Jenna, for having me on. No, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Sydney and yes. sharing your expertise here today. Thank you. So you've been practicing as a counsellor for about 20 years and you've also focused on a wide range of areas which include child consultancy. How did you start being interested in working with people and working in places like community centres? Well, I did um, my uh, relationship counselling diploma. Then I went off to do a bachelor and master's at um, uh, UNE in in Armidale. And I started to, when I was doing some um, practice work there to to, um, get my hours up, I was working in community centres. So that was over 20 years ago. And I really started to enjoy uh, that focus of um, people around uh, just walking in, having a chat, um, just booking in a session and just getting to feel the community and understand what it's like to, to be in a community. So I developed, I uh, had my practice, private practice and then I ended up working in a um, family relationship centre for over 13 years where I was a multicultural representative for that organisation and I was also um, a child consultant for where I would work with uh, the family dispute resolution practitioners uh, or mediators, as they're commonly called, and who are working with separated parents. And often I'd be called in to be actually speak to a child um, around or children or their children around um, how they were how they were with what was happening for them as their families were going through um, their separation and divorce. So if the parents were in a grants and happy for the child to talk, I became their voice. So it was really an honour to be that voice. It was an honour to be able to hear what, how the child was feeling, to be able to then relay that back to the parent and parents through the mediation process. So it was able, that way it was able for the parents to have a better understanding of what the children were going through and to sort of work out um, what they were going to need because it's really important to be child-focused in that mediation process. No, I think I think it's amazing. It's commendable how you do that as well, especially when it comes to the different areas, for example, um, that you just listed, such as divorce and even domestic violence situations where a child yes. is involved. Hearing that child's perspective, I think, is, is vital to a lot of the situations. Mm. Yes, and if the parents are in their grants um, and able to listen, that's the big issue. Are they able to listen and learn? 
Yeah, I think having the voice of a child is really important because you sort of a lot of people really overlook that understanding and overlook the importance of how a child sees different scenarios. When parents become very um, involved in their own things that are going on for them, mm-hmm. and sometimes they just don't really know, um, or they they are not really aware of where their child is at in that process and it can be a very difficult time for parents. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what kind of communities did you really work with and were they were they really diverse in sort of the different ways that they communicated? Very much so, very much mm-hmm. so. And um, it was really good to be able to, do, to work in different ways. I worked for the Women's Health Centre. I wrote programs. I, I, I wrote workshops around grief and loss. So I did a lot of that type of work for the community uh, and worked um, uh, in in uh, in various in various communities various various neighborhood centers mm-hmm. well, around so I live on the central coast so I'm New South Wales so I did I did a lot of um, workshops and ran a lot of workshops and, and did a lot of counseling in neighborhood centers around the central coast. Wow, that's that's amazing to be able to do and, and an amazing accomplishment as well to be able to run workshops to inspire people to find different ways of understanding themselves. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great honour. So before we continue talking about the topic, we love to continue talking a little bit more about you and understanding mm-hmm. a little bit more about your interests. Um, so when I say these different areas, just say the first thing that sort of comes to your mind so the first word is your favourite book. Mm-hmm. I'm currently reading Di Morrissey's um, The Winter Sea. Uh, she's an Australian author that I really admire. Okay. Um, can you tell a little bit more about why she's something? She's someone that you do admire? Oh, well, I just think it's she writes it's, it's so in-depth um, with such feeling and um, uh, the last one which she read about the opal mining and, and she writes so well about people, how she really gets to know the character and she writes so you feel as though you're there with her work. Mm-hmm. You really feel as though you're there well, in the novel. <laughs> that's always incredible, especially how, much, how effective words can be when sort of describing scenarios. Yes, she's exceptionally good at it. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, The next one is a favourite movie of yours. Well, once again, um, I feel when I saw that question, I really have to say, once again, as Australian, um, I I have many, many favourite movies. However, I would like to continue to go with the Australian theme. So I thoroughly enjoyed The Sapphires. And I, of course, I absolutely love the castle. And the reason why is because I could see. I love Australian humour. I love the way we can we portray ourselves, and we're so open and honest. I think, and um, so I really love to sort of just relax with those sorts of movies. Yes, I think I agree with Sapphire. It is probably the <laughs> most Australian movie you could possibly ever watch. Um, yes. When I. Yeah, when I first came to Australia, because I'm originally from New Zealand, but when I first came to Australia, uh, it was Sapphires and Kath and Kim that sort of gave me a diverse opinion <laughs> as, to, yep. as to what Australia was. Yeah, yes. The next one is a favourite podcast of yours. Yes, um, 
it's well the la the last one that I did um was um I've just I wrote them down because uh, I really thought they were it's so so interesting. It's Paul Dennison's um and I haven't done a lot of his, but it was through his is a, a, it was moving through grief and trauma, and I loved it because um, he he actually uses the body to move through the grief and trauma. So he does a lot of breathing and he does a lot of breath work and and yoga and um, yoga poses and things like that, and using your arms to release. And I just absolutely loved um, that that podcast. You know, I thought it was brilliant. Mm. So I'd love to do more of his work. Wow, he sounds he sounds very inspirational as well in the he way is. that yeah yeah no that's that's incredible to hear. Mm. Um, this sort of fits in really well with your the next phase, which is a famous role model that you have. Um, it's Dr. Edith Edgar. I don't know whether you know her. She's a she's a, a psychologist in US, in you know in the United States. Uh, she is um, ninety three years of age. She's still practicing. And uh, she um, was in Auschwitz. She is the survivor. And mm -hmm. she is the most amazing, amazing woman to read her life story. She's just, it's just a brilliant, brilliant um, story. And she's just so inspirational. Well, it's amazing to be that age and still practicing what she yes. started off with. No, that's amazing. Yes, she is. Um, this fits in a little well with the next one, which is a course that you've completed that you that has really changed your life. Hmm. And this one, once again, I just needed to write it down when I saw that question so I could remember it exactly. Um, it's Dr. Eric Gendry, and it was um, the Trauma Com Competency Conference it was, and mm -hmm. um, it was looking at adverse childhood experiences and exploring cause and effect around around stress. So it was really about learning more about um, self-regulation. Um, and it was a two-day um, program, two workshop, but it was just so intense and so well done. Um, so yes, it was really about those childhood experiences that we can have and and, in, and, we, and we're growing up um, into our adulthood. However, we're still affected by those childhood experiences. Wow, that's that's a powerful course for, for yes, sure. It was. Yeah, for sure. Um, so going in now, parenting we know has a wide range of different roles and responsibilities that are needed in that can determine a way that a child is raised. It can also determine how a parent does parent their child. Um, everyone has a very different range of what parenting is to them. What do you think parenting is to you? Parenting, um, for me, parenting is a, it's a big responsibility and it's never going to be, it's never going to be smooth sailing. We're, we're all human beings and we're all, um, being, we're all in a, a space of being, a, we're learning. And I think parenting um, is, is an such an important role. And it, it really needs to, to be able to know that you're not always going to get it right. However, parents are going to do the best they can. And sometimes just further education around parenting can be so beneficial to assist that. 
to help parents mm-hmm. through through this the stages and developmental stages of their child. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to parents or to expectant parents that they need to be aware of in their transition to parenthood? Um, to be mindful of that, there's going to be a change in them themselves, and. If they're going from, you know, their pregnancy stage and, and they're about to give the birth to the, to the child and they're, they're working as a couple to make sure that's a smooth transition, then it's about being on the same page, about uh, knowing that things are not possibly always going to go exactly as you planned. And it's about uh, knowing that your, your your own health and well-being is really important and uh, your the way you are. Um, is really important to, to, to look after yourself. Self-care is really important and so that you can do the best you can for your, 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 your new little one. Mm-hmm. And when children are a little bit older, there comes a time where there is a little bit of backtalk between the parent and the child that can sort of really damage the way that a child understands and a child sort of feels their, through their emotions. Um, I spoke a little bit more earlier about effective communication and that whole phrase regarding what it is. Um, Mm. To you, what is meant by the phrase effective communication in a parent and child interaction? To me, it's about um, how you can listen Mm -hmm. and, and, and do it and how you're regulating yourself in, if it's a, if it's sort of like a, um, it's maybe in a situation where the child may have done something inappropriate or not right, um, it's about how you can address yourself in that moment and and maybe find a way to actually listen to where the child is coming from if, um, you know, they're able to sort of express what was occurring for them. Mm-hmm. And what role does effective communication play in the topic of parenting? Effective communication is crucial. It's uh, it's it's the um, it's the way that you will you will learn more and know more about your own child, because mm-hmm. if if communication is not um, if it's if if say for a parent was to say you know like the old days it was you know child uh, seen and not heard that sort of thing if if it was like that then um, that child grows up to think to think that they're never going to have permission to have a voice mm-hmm. so it's about looking at how you can effectively allow communication. Like for yourself, how you self-regulate with that, what you're doing, how you're doing it, and allowing your child to have communication as well. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, especially when I think we spoke a little bit about trauma earlier on in the show and how a parent is sort of taught how to parent by their own parents and that can sort of become a generational way to parent. So how right, do you Gina. sort of, yeah, how do you go from having that understanding of, okay, I'm not going to be the way that my parents raised me, or also giving a child a voice? 
It's it's really hard. It's hard for a parent because they haven't known what it was like to know they had permission to have a voice when they were a child, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, 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 then they may struggle with um, with ways of allowing their child to have that voice. They may uh, they may not know how to go about that, uh, and. So there's there are um, parenting courses, of course, that people can do. And if parents aren't feeling, if they're not feeling comfortable or, or enough, they they know that they want to do something different. They want to to learn new tools themselves to be the parent that they feel that they really would like to be with their child. But mm-hmm. however, it can be it can be difficult. It's not, as I say, it's not e- always easy. And I think that's why it's, it's for parents not to be too hard on themselves. They're trying to just often do the best they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And talking about effective communication, how can that help in order to strengthen a relationship between a parent and a child? I think uh, around um, if a child, say, for example, um, I might give the example here. If a child is really, say, really angry, say um, something has happened, and if I could possibly even give an example uh, around if they've come back, separated parents, for example, come back from the other other parent's place, and the child might say, well, Mum or dad says, said see this. A parent might, the other parent might say, well, they hadn't, they shouldn't have said that, or they shouldn't have done that. Whereas that's not what the child really wants to hear. What they want to hear is that um, what they they were feeling about it, that this other parent could validate. So it could mm-hmm. be around, wow, that must have been really hard for you to hear that over there. Um, it must be really hard. So that's the validation. So that way it becomes effective communication for the child because they think, okay, I can trust that my feelings, I don't, mum or dad doesn't need to fix me. They're going to teach me how to trust my feelings and how to work through my mm-hmm. feelings by validation. Mm-hmm. If I've answered and that correctly, I'm sorry. No. Yeah. No, I think I think that answered it because I think that spoke really um, well into what I was going to ask next when it comes to the whole idea of validating a child's feelings. And sometimes I think there are a lot of parents and I've seen a lot of forums when it comes to validating your child's feelings. Um, how do you sort of do that without feeling like it's condescending or feeling like it's ingenuine on either your end or can be seen as ingenuine on a child's end? I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's about, first of all, it may be uncomfortable for you as a parent. So I really want to let the parent know that none of us, no parents are perfect, so we're not always going to get it right. So be, be comfortable with it in yourself. This might be really foreign to a parent. They may want to get upset about something. However, they, they but they... And they don't may not want to 
even think, it may not even think about the validation side of things. So it's about mm-hmm. um, allowing the parent to know if they just have a breath, there might be something really uncomfortable that their, their child is saying, and then um, just think about, okay, really think that my child is actually talking about a feeling here rather than uh, rather than the incident that's occurred. Mm-hmm. So then it's about um, thinking, okay, all right, I can do this. I can, I, that's, it must have been hard for you, you know, like I said before, it could be just a simple statement like that. Um, must mm-hmm. be, that, that must, that couldn't have been easy for you. That would have been really tough. Um, and then let the child then express that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then um, if they're okay with that, and that you're sort of able to get through that, then you can just say to them, do you want to go out and kick a ball? Might need to, to kick a ball at the moment. You know, or or will, will we bake that cake? Or So it's just about trying to get in touch with that um, that, that, uh, that felt, uh, the feeling and then do the best you can with the validation. So how can a parent ensure that they're communicating effectively with children in sort of different age groups? Because I know, for example, you're not going to talk to a child who's in primary school the same way that they're in high school. So how do you do that in a way that is different, but it's still still genuine between each of the relationships? Yeah, of course it's going to be different. It's it's different at every stage of the the developmental um, ages and stages. And there can be um, so many different emotions that come up for children and, and it's really hard to deal with some of those. Uh, so it's about um, really just being the, uh, the best listener you possibly can be, even when the child is, is not functioning really well uh, around with their emotions, being the best listener that you possibly can be, allowing the child to express um, whatever is happening. If if it's um, going into the teenage years, it's still much the same sort of stuff because if you've developed a really good communication style with your child at an early age, and I, I believe this needs to happen at an early age, um, if you've developed a really good communication style with your child, when they get into, you're giving your child a gift, you really are, because when they get into their teenage years, they will have a better understanding and knowing that they have a significant person or parent or a significant person in their life that they can go and talk to if they need need to talk about what what is occurring mm-hmm. for them often if if a child hasn't had that in the young in the younger years then um, they don't know what to do their, with their emotions especially when they get into their teenage years and that can be really damaging to them because, uh, you know, that's when um, that's really hard with the coping. They may gravitate towards children or kids that are similar to themselves, get into some issues around drugs um, and often will lead to, unfortunately, some suicide thought, suicidal thoughts or self-harm. So my, my belief has always been the younger you can effectively communicate with your child, the easier it is will be when they get into their teenage years, then they will can come to you. Uh, often mm-hmm. they will could come to you because they know they can. And then it can be um, much the same sort of thing. 
um, then checking in with the child, what do you feel you need to do about this? Mm-hmm. What is it giving, giving it? Because you would have, um, if, if you have given your child that opportunity to find the tools for themselves rather than fix them when they're younger, then it's a lot easier for them to thought, to be able to have tools when they're older and they're, especially their teenage years to mm-hmm. um, know how to deal with difficult situations. And just by listening to them, talking it through, what what else could you, what could you do, um, letting them chat about that can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I guess giving them the opportunity to even, I think, vent to the parent and vent to you about the situation that's happening, not necessarily to fix the problem, but to just let it out for a second, is that can sort of also be seen as an important relationship? It is. It is. And uh, because that any release, any release of emotion is beneficial. And because anger is, and you know, the anger can be there, of course, but anger is only a secondary emotion. So mm-hmm. if it was a volcano, if you viewed it as a volcano, the anger is explosion. But underneath that, there's confusion, frustration, and ang- anxious, um, sad, hurt, feeling guilty, shame, uh, all sorts of things. Disappointment can be underneath that. So um, often, if people um, will try to block all those feelings, and they can often, you know, use. Um, Video, you know, the game, gaming, work real hard, you know, all sorts of things to to try to stop use drugs to try to stop those feelings. However, mm-hmm. um, the anger is just a secondary emotion. So it's about if you can talk to the child about the anger or the teenager or whatever, um, where it's coming from, what's that about? Then they got they you they know they've got somebody that's going to listen. And it's not just going to be pushed down. It's not going to be just held down there, and and um, because they they start to learn how to effectively um, control and uh, those emotions, they get the support how, they need. Yeah, no, I think I think it's important for that, especially sort of trying to understand on the child's perspective how much of their anger or behaviour is sort of in in their personality and just a situational? Yeah, it certainly can be because uh, uh, situational, yes, um, you know, because that's that's going to happen quite a bit. Personality, um, well, they've they've got um, both their parents' DNA, uh, so Mm -hmm. there can be generational um, situations that are instilled um, in a child mm. because uh, they're, they're, they've got uh, ways of, of dealing with it. They've seen their parents do. So that can, um, you know, can be some learned behaviours. So there's a lot of um, things that um, children carry and also, um, you know, they're, they're, they're learning all the time. They're watching their, their parents, are their role model. So it's how they yep. effectively communicate themselves um, that's going to benefit the child, but that's not always going to happen. So it's about um, the parents. Um, the children um, can uh, respond in a similar way to a parent, and that can be really hard mm-hmm. too. So um, yeah, so it's it's not 
it's it's never going to be an easy. Um, it, it's never easy, and it's and when you look at the big picture like that, when it can be um, you know the DNA generational stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think it's very big, especially when you talk about the generation trauma, the generation um, way of parenting, way of learning. Um, I think I've spoken about that a, a few times on different episodes and it's always so amazing just how in-depth that can be and how ingrained that sort of situation and that sort of DNA can be in a child. Absolutely. So, so for example, when talking about, I mean, we spoke about in in less words than so, we're talking about sort of a safe space that a child can um, develop within their relationship with the parent. What are some key nonverbal cues that a parent can be aware of when communicating with their child? Okay. Um, well, I think it's it's like um, it's like uh, with a parent, a child looking at a parent too. Body language, um, tone of voice, silence. Um, all that sort of thing. Like a parent can, uh, for example, I'll, I'll go to the parent first. If the parent, if the parent is, um, say, for example, who doesn't want the child to see them sad, for example, because they believe that's mm-hmm. going to be detrimental to a child, then the child actually might see mummy trying to be happy, but the body language is saying she's not. Or her tone of voice might be saying it's not. So it becomes a bit confusing <laughs> for a child. So it's the same like with you with your child. If you can notice that um, they say they're just sitting quietly, um, they're not they're not talking as much, they're not playing with their toys. Different ages and stages, of course, but it's about um, just tuning in and just sort of just checking in. I can see that. Um, you, you seem to be a little bit quieter today, right now. Um, is there anything that you feel that I could? Is there anything that you'd like to talk about, or something like this? Just that checking in. Mm-hmm. So how how important is? I think we you spoke about that a little a few seconds ago when it comes to the way that a child can be aware that a parent is not feeling okay by the by the way that they're acting compared to the way that they're talking, how, like, I know a lot of parents aren't able to sort of hide their emotions. And I know that also can be detrimental to a child's understanding of what, how to express emotions. How can a parent sort of regulate their own emotions to a point where they're able to find it constructive for a child to understand it? Yes, it's it's very hard at times for parents. It's 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 not as I said, it's not an easy thing to be a parent because there's all sorts of emotions that parents are going through. All sorts of things are happening in their life. You know, there can be all sorts of different things that are happening in the possibly their relationship, financial pressures, work pressures. Um, all sorts of things can be happening, and a parent is is um, trying their best at times. And the more a, a parent can find the way, the tools themselves to to know that um, they are uh, able to self regulate and be able to sort of know that they can 
um, even though they're going through this, they it's not about putting that on the child and that can be a hard thing. So it's about maybe even, um, once again, it's very hard when you're sort of in a different stage and what you can communicate to a child. But just if, mm-hmm. if a child is sort of getting concerned about things in in the family situation, um, and then it can be that just right now, um, you know, things are not quite right. And we don't. what we're doing is mum and dad are working on this. It could be something that they may just need some few words to help them to know um, that you know that they're uh, that things are are okay. If they're not okay, then 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 the parents are wise to get some extra support. But um, because and then and let the child know, um, just needing some extra support right now. We're just going to perhaps go and get some counselling or whatever it might be. But be open and honest about it as much as you can mm-hmm. and age appropriate. So the child is not yep. left um, clinging on and, and thinking, "What's really happening here?" I, I did a, a course, I did a workshop, I did a, a, um, a, a big. Uh, uh, I was write, uh, helping with the write a, a big paper up at Southern Cross University, and we on children and, and about how much they could cope with in around what they were with their parenting in the parenting situations. And it was really interesting because we did this workshop and we did this um, a continuum line when we asked some of the kids, different ages and stages, hmm. um, we talked about what, um, it, with, with your family situation right now, um, how important is it that your parents, um, to, how much does the, your parents can communicate with you about what's going on? And... Mm-hmm. Most of the kids put themselves, it was 10 kids, most of the kids put themselves right down between one and five. And we asked them, okay, so, all right, so you, you really don't know what, much about what is happening in your family. However, you know there's things that are happening. And they say yes. And then we got them to see, well, what if you had a voice? What if you could ask some questions? What would that be like? And most of them put themselves up around at eight or nine on the line. And when we asked them about what, what was that about, they said, oh, we just, we just know things are not right. We can see it because mum and dad are upset or whatever. And we just like to know that, we just like to know what, what is happening, just something. We want to know if everything's going to be okay. And it was really lovely when Charles said, yes, I'd like to do that too. But I don't want to have to fix anything. So <laughs> I think it's really great that we can allow our children to have some input, that we mm-hmm. don't think that, you know, that they just don't need to know. Yep. No, I I agree, especially when it comes to like children going through a divorce situation where a parent is also struggling with the I mean, it's not an amicable divorce. It could be happening for so many different reasons. But then a a parent can sort of be going through the emotions themselves. Yes. But a child very just hard. doesn't understand. No, it, it would be difficult. Um, I mean, going through that divorce, you're not, I mean, the parent's not really understanding why, still trying to figure out why 
the child has no idea as well and doesn't feel like they can ask. I've definitely seen um, a few of my friends who have gone through that situation and their children are just constantly not knowing why it happened or why they no longer see the other parent as often. Um, And it could be something that a parent usually tries to hide very well um, when spending time with the child, but it can do, I've sort of realized that they ask more questions than normal and they definitely realize things aren't going well. Yes. Yeah. Because children are always listening and learning. You know, they're picking up on body languages all the time. That's all they have when they were born. You know, they mm-hmm. look up into the person's face and, you know, if they, as babies, and they could see, you know, the emotions in a face. That's what they're learning when they're born. You know, their body language, they can pick up on that. That's all they, they don't have communication skills yet, but they can, they can see what, what's happening with a, somebody that's looking at them, a parent, um, and how they're, how they're interacting with them. And in, just mm-hmm. by the looks, by their body language and how they're holding themselves. So kids have always got this. No, I, I definitely agree. So when going through that situation, what are some practices that parents should really keep in mind when also trying to regulate their own emotions and regulate and help a child understand their emotions? What kind of tips do you have for a parent? Well, I think... Um it's it's like once again I, I still have to come back to the fact that no not not every situation is going to be perfect. However, if a parent can actually just bring themselves back into their bodies if they've responded in a certain way and just acknowledge it and say, you know what, I just realised that that wasn't really appropriate the way I've just spoken about that. Um, yeah, let you know, let me let me I just need to go away for a little while. I'll come back to you and I'll, I'll talk soon, you know, because um, mummy's not or dad's, dad's not in the right headspace right now. So it's just about talking mm-hmm. about it, being open and honest um, is, is is such a gift really because then the child can think, okay, that was good. They're not just going to brush me off. You know, they're sort of going to pretend it's not happening. Um, but you don't have to give a lot of detail. You, it's not about... The you know they're all it's not in all the detail. It's just a matter. Of ch- children usually only want a few words. Mm-hmm. That's all they need. That they don't want. They don't need a lot of explanation. They don't want to hear a lot of explanation. They, they don't really want to. I've counselled. I've counselled a lot of children through uh, the the um, family, like when for their parents have been uh, going through separation and divorce. So. Counts a lot of children, and they really don't want lots and lots of information. They just want some something, you know, that um, they can hold on to that's going to show that um, things are going to improve somehow, some way, or whatever. And um, mm-hmm. and sometimes I've found in my counselling room with children, they don't love a parent's behaviour. They might love a parent's behaviour. However, they love their parent and I help them to understand that they can still love their parent. They do not have to love their child, their parent's behaviour because the parent may not always be able to regulate themselves. So it, it, takes, it takes time. It really takes time. No, I, I definitely see it would. And I think um, the next part that we're going to talk about is 
how technology plays a role. And I know that there's different ways and different tools that technology does sort of help improve the communication between a parent and a child. How can parents use technology in a way that sort of promotes that effective communication? Well, this this question is close to my heart because for, for um, the younger children, I can talk about from that perspective, um, it's be because um, I worked with um, um, Jerry and Mel from Films for Change on a, on a project called Ness, and um, this is for children up to the, about the age of eight or nine, maybe ten. Um, and Ness actually is a little girl that uh, talks to Australian animals about her feelings. And it's mm-hmm. a beautiful way. It's beautifully drawn. The, all the um, animals are drawn. And this little girl sits under a tree and she talks to wombat, lyrebird, koala. And they, they, they get the seven segments and they give um, a, a lovely way of being able for the child to be able to listen, to, to talk about their feelings. It's a beautiful one. It's, a, it's, a, it's free on YouTube and I can leave the details with you at the end of this for people that they are interested. But it's a beautiful one for parents to actually watch with their children and then to sort of talk about their child, about those feelings, because the animals talk to Ness, because it's around happiness, sadness, that's why it's called Ness, happiness, sadness, being anxiousness, um, you know, all those sorts of emotions. So it's a really um, beautiful way to be able to talk about all the feelings that a child can have. Um, as mm-hmm. they get older, um, with as far as, you know, into those uh, other, you know, the older years, I encourage parents to become curious about what their children are watching because we, you know, parents can get very frightened about what they're watching and we as parents and, and cannot control always what is happening um, with the older children. However, if you can be open and honest with your child and be curious about what they're watching, say, whoa, that seems a bit dark, tell me about what that is. If if they happen to notice it or if, they, if the child is open, open and watching something or uh, talking about something that other kids are listening to at school or watching at school, they're talking about that. Tell me what it is that you really like about this. What is it that's got you interested in this? Um, what is it about that game? It seems a bit violent. What is it about that game mm-hmm. that you, you know, you're attracted to. Um, how, how many other of your friends? It's not, um, tell me, I just want to know, you know, just be curious because they, they, they're always going to do what parents don't particularly want them to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so be curious about it. Try not to, yeah, of course, naturally, if it's something very serious or you're getting very concerned, then it doesn't matter to take it further. However, I think if you can always be curious with the child about what it is they really like about what they're seeing, what they're doing, um, tell me more about that. Um, you know, so I get to know what it is in you that you, why you, why you like this. And then it can help a child to be able to be more open and honest about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's very interesting. That's a very 
nice way of parenting for me. I think I've heard a lot of different parenting tips on this show and that by far is probably one of the most insightful ways um, to sort of improve that communication. Because I think, especially when it comes to technology and we talk about video games as well, um, there's a lot of parents who are very much like, okay, this game is very violent, you're not allowed to play it without really seeing why the child enjoys it. And it could just be as simple as, oh, my friends play it. And that's their reason for enjoying it. And mm-hmm. so how how far is it when it sort of becomes a bit too much? How do you know that it is that it has become too much? I think that's where um, you, if, you, if you've really allowed your child to explore and to be open and honest with you um, around it, then um, it could be um, uh, like if it's if it's become too much and, and you feel it's affecting the child, then there needs to be some interaction. There could be needing to sort of uh, seek professional help or get some guidance. Uh, get allow the parent to find get some guidance around uh, this. Talk to other parents. Are there other parents that? Uh, their child is actually playing this game as well. Um, what concerns do they have? Um, what 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 um, strategies can we put into place to um, help this situation before it gets too far out of hand? And so it's still about communication, open communication, checking in. Um, uh, and if, as I said, if it if it really does get to that point where it's like critical, you'd hope that. In the meantime, if you've been able to explore with the child along the way, hopefully it wouldn't get to that. But if it does, um, then it does need to have further inter- interaction interventions and um, that and uh, around that for the for the sake of the child, and hopefully that mm-hmm. that will help the child. But you know, it could. It's never an easy one. Never an easy one. No, I think especially when it comes to the type of games that kids play there's so many different ways that it can be taken and I think like for for me there's so many different ways that because I grew up playing games and my parents were always trying to get me to go outside more trying to get me to touch grass a little bit more um and I think it's very interesting when when my reasoning for playing was like oh because it's just it's fun it's a cool way of playing it's a cool way of wasting time of spending a little moment of release it's not necessarily about oh I'm obsessed with the game it's more like I just enjoy the the excitement that comes with it and the time that I get to spend in it for a little bit while but I definitely do see a lot of parents when it comes to the games that kids can get way too invested in it which is which is I think every game is very situational so it's very interesting Uh, yes very much so (laughs) So we know that uh, you're not only a parent, but you're also a grandparent. And I know that you have children who sort of live far away. And what is a practice that you do to sort of improve or or even keep communication with your children? I I really um, I love to interact with, with my grandchildren around because they're teenagers and and um, mm-hmm. early twenties. Um, I really just like to keep. I, I really just, to be honest, just keep the door open, and they come in and out, and and um, we we just sit and talk, and we just we just um, allow. I've always allowed them to feel as though that they could come and just talk about anything. 
Um, mm-hmm. And often that they have, they have. And I just think it's about keeping that open door, keeping communication going. Uh, and to be honest with you, the other key to that, I think, is in just relaxing and enjoying the time. I find that helps if you if they know that you are just enjoying their company, just them being there. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's that's really for me um, the the basis of it. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think that's amazing, and I I always love when uh, grandparents are very just. It, it comes with communication and it comes up everyone's own time, I think, especially. I think it's amazing to see that for me. Um, with that practice, what are three good things that you sort of found when just allowing yourself to spend time with your grandkids and also keeping that door open for them? Yes. Um, I remember this um, question when I looked at it and I, I needed just to write, I think I needed to just be really... Um, uh, there's something else that I, I've, I've realised that I would, wanted to say about that too. Um, <laughs> with, with, uh, with the communication with the children, um, I, I've really noticed that to be mindful of self first and 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 be effective in your in your communic in your listening. So just just be no because uh, yes, my door's open and that's the basis for it. However, I still have to be mindful of where I'm at myself. So that's self reflection first as well, mm-hmm. just to sort of, because we, um, even as grandparents, we're pretty busy people. So self-reflection um, and just knowing that where we are with, with um, that communication and how we're going to, how that's going to work. Um, but the, the three things that was, um, for me, um, it was all about well, three good things is trust, um, validation, and I believe it's very strength-based. So I think that um, those those three three things are important for me in the way um, we communicate with our grandchildren. That they know that they can trust it, um, they will be validated, and I can tell you that at their ages and stages in their life, there's sometimes they you know they're going through some difficult times and and um, they're going through some um, um, you know you think oh. Uh, yeah, just we just need to support this at right this at, at this time. So it's never even you know it's it's still um, can be a little challenging being a grandparent. Mm. You know, so you know, so that's that's the thing that I think is um, really important. And then the um, you know that uh, strength being, and then that allows for that the strength based approach to sort of come into it, and, and for them to feel that they're. Um, that they they come they're comfortable, and they they can trust mm. in it. No, I think I think that's amazing, and I think especially when it comes to the validation, even especially as a grandparent, I think having that, it's still effective. It's still very effective having that validated validation from a grandparent, knowing that they're doing well in life, and I think that's important. And I think especially it works both sides. There's validation on your end, and there's validation on their end, and I think. That's also very important. Mm, it is. Now, I know that there are very good things, and I think we brushed upon this very briefly, but what are some of the other challenges that you sort of experience when going through the practice? 
of um, this of, of with being with grandchildren. Is that what you're saying yes. around communication with with them? Um, I think, yes. to be honest with you, it's is that what you meant? The yes, just, yes, um, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. The the challenge here is to be once again a good listener, to ground yourself really well, breathe into your body, ground yourself really well, because they're always going to throw some curly ones at you, and they're going to want to know that you can be prepared to hear some stuff, and then and then think about how you're going to respond. To some of the, because you may think when you hear some of the challenges, the challenges for me as a grandparent, uh, you hear what your what your grandchildren are telling you because they they're trusting in the process of being able to talk to you. So, however, you think you you want to say, oh, is that a good idea? <laughs> but sometimes it's not. It's about more allowing them to still keep on talking and you might be still using that same thing. Oh, so, okay, so um, what do you? Th- how do you think that might work for you? Putting it back to them. What, what do you think would be good about doing that? Because you might be thinking, oh, I don't know whether that's a good idea or something like that. So, but it's not about saying, well, that's not a good idea because then you've mm-hmm. lost them. So it's still about checking in. Oh, and you're breathing it the whole time, grounding yourself. So then you're saying, okay, yeah, all right. So, okay, you think you could do it that way, do you? Oh, all right. So you see any issues with that? Um, would there be anything that had come up that might might throw, be a bit of a curly one for you? If, you, if you've got another plan, another something else that might you might could do if that doesn't work? So it's still about throwing it back to them, mm-hmm. not not telling them how you really, not telling them how you really think or what you're thinking. You just you because you're concerned. Naturally, we're grandparents. Mm-hmm. We're going to be concerned about their welfare and well-being. So, however, we want them to know that we they can still come and trust in in us being able to. to they can talk to us, and then um, we can assist them by finding their way. Not you know, not becoming too stressed about anything, but finding finding the best way for them forward. And they've they've made that decision. They've made that they've made it themselves. We haven't told them what to do. Yes, no, I um I completely relate to that challenge, especially when it comes to my communication with my own grandparents. Um, there is a lot of moments where. I tell them, for example, I told them um, when I first started my master's that I'm going to go study further and I had no job at that point. And um, there was a lot of there was a lot of them biting their tongue and I could very much tell that there was a lot of opinions on that. But they were still very supportive in that decision because it was my decision. And I think um, I know that they had advice for me to find work before I went back and studied. But I think for them, it was more just about, okay, I do want to still hear about your life and I don't want it to be something that you hide from me. So I think I can definitely relate to that position in terms of how a grandchild would feel. And I think it is one of the most supportive things that a grandparent could do. Mm, Absolutely. It, it, It is. And that's beautiful that you've received that gift too. 
Yes, no, I'm, I'm very lucky with uh, all the different sets of grandparents I have. <laughs> Beautiful. So how do you think that this practice has impacted not only your understanding of parenting, but also your sort of understanding of how life goes? Huh. That's a, and that's an interesting question. Um, and so it's sort of about thinking about that, how we do this and how that plays out in life. I think um, for me, I, I think it's because I'm, I guess because I've, I'm an older person and, and uh, still working in this field and loving every moment of it, um, I wasn't always the parent. Possibly, the, like I didn't have didn't have skills, like I um, learned as I you know when I got into my counselling and that, and that I used with the grandparents. I don't. I think it's because I can see that how how I le I learned so much with with all the training I've done, and I think that's what it is about. We're not perfect, we and it's about taking every opportunity that you can as a parent. To, to start to think about or learn something different about how you can be with your child. And I think mm -hmm. that would have been something that I would have loved to have had when my children were, were younger. Um, and I've always said I do a lot of parenting po po podcasts and that, and I'm quite open and honest about all that um, in my podcasts and uh, because I can see the benefits of the, of, of the change in your life yourself as a parent. And to be more open and honest and understanding around what you can do differently. And often if if a parent hasn't had that opportunity, like if they've haven't hasn't um like if they haven't broken away from a prep, 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 perhaps what they've learned um from their from their childhood and they're parenting the same way, it can be very different difficult. So mm -hmm. if, if a parent can get, have the opportunity to start to think about what they could do differently and start to learn some new skills, it's a beautiful way of moving forward with your children. Mm -hmm. No, and I think, I think it's very interesting. I mean, you talked about um, the practice that you do as a, as a consultant, as a child consultant, as a counsellor, but putting that into sort of everyday aspect prior to you studying counselling, I think it's very interesting to see um, to see the skills that you've learned after parenthood and after um, going through the study. So I think it's it's very validating to know that there are so many people out there who aren't parenting counsellors, who aren't professionals at what they do. They're just simple parents, for example, and they're still not perfect as well. There's still, there's no such thing as a perfect parent to me. There's no such thing no. as a parent because there's always going to be, I think the best judge of who's a perfect parent is the children that they've affected, that they've sort of helped throughout their life. And I think that's the yes. only person that is pretty much allowed to judge them in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's really hard for parents too, because they can carry guilt and 
and, yes. and because they don't want to, they don't want, and they they can get, they can feel, they might get, they might overreact or react in a, in a not a good way with the child, and then they can carry guilt. But it's about acknowledging that and just saying, uh, oh, "Wow, mummy just went off the Richter scale right there." Um, you know. Well, um, I think I might just need to go and have a take a breath, you know, or something like that. So the child knows that you, you know, I'll, they they know that you weren't happy with that, and I'll I'll talk to you when I just go and settle down, you know, something like that. So, with their kids know um, that they, you know, parents aren't not perfect. They're not going to be perfect. There's too much going on in parents' lives. Mm-hmm. And this leads perfectly well into our next segment, which is questions from the audience. And we do have a few questions that are very interesting to me. And I think we've spoken about them a little bit, but I think having from the audience, I think is a little bit, um, a little bit more in depth. So the first one is how can parents build an open and honest communication with children? How can they build it? Yes. How can parents build an open and honest communication? I think trusting in themselves. Because um, if you're going to build open and honest communication with your child, then it's really important that you trust yourself first and be um, true to you and think, well, if I'm really um, wanting this, if I want to build this, what do I need to do? to create, to make this happen. Because mm-hmm. as I say, parents don't always have those skills. So they could need to actually do some parenting courses or whatever, mm-hmm. or seek, seek some um, professional assistance. And that's often what happens when um, in the counseling room with um, parents will often come in and just want to talk about um, where their child is at, but it often gets to be talking to about because we always see the parents first, parent parents first, and it always gets to talking about where the parent is and what's happening for them with their child. So it's about really getting to know who you are first, because you you mm-hmm. are wanting certain things, and it's about how you can make that happen. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's a really good way of doing it because you're not going to be. I think a lot of parents forget that you are a person first, and you are someone who is still learning through situations, and you're not going to be the best at it. Not just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you're immediately going to be the best person. No, at all. No. And I think no, I think children also forget that very easily as well like you see your parent as being an authority figure and being someone who is a role model to you but you don't see them as a person you see them as someone who has done so much already with their life that you're the next person to be to be focused on you're the person that they dedicate their entire life to Mm -hmm. yes yeah so it's it's very interesting to me when talking about this because especially when it comes to, for example, my family, now that my sister and I were adult children, we're growing up, we're learning to be on our own. And now um, after my mom has dedicated pretty much her entire life into raising us, 
she's now sort of going ahead and furthering her study. She's now sort of focusing a lot more on herself. So I think it's amazing to see how much she has sort of put aside in order to raise my sister and I for a time. And now she's now being able to focus completely on herself, which for me is also really, it's always really nice to see because I felt always felt guilty at the fact that she has stepped back from herself and become a parent first and a person second. Uh-huh. Yeah. And sometimes parents can get lost in that, you know, uh, however, as your child is growing up, they're always watching you. And if you are looking after yourself and honouring yourself, they mm-hmm. end up knowing that they have permission to do that too. You know, they yes. they they feel that they can. Um, they've seen mum or dad or you know mum. Um, doing whatever she wants wants her to do to achieve or whatever it is. Um, and then they can feel comfortable just without even knowing knowing it really themselves, only because what they've watched and seen, that they will get permission to do it and, and be that way themselves. No, I... I genuinely, I genuinely agree with that. And I think that's, yeah. it's important. It's important for that. So the next question is, how can parents promote emotional regulation and also self-awareness to children? Uh, promote so self-regulation and self-awareness in children. Uh, so, sorry, emotional regulation and self-awareness in children. Okay, um, being talking about talking to children from a very early age about their feelings, um, acknowledging them, and 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 um, just being able to know how. Well, um, that seems like a that's that's a, like with it's a little one. That's a that's a pretty big tantrum you're throwing there. Um, what else we can might might be able to just go and and um, let's go and see if we can go and kick that ball. Or something it could be a distraction sort of thing um, to help them find uh, different ways of uh, handling what's happening for them, um, not overreacting, um, attempting just to find new, give the child new um, tools. Self-regulation um, is once again the sort of the same thing. Um, when they're they're younger, it's really lovely to to teach them self-regulation by. Um, if they're getting a little bit um, overwhelmed, upset, um, to have a bubble pipe there, blow the bubbles so that they know that they can breathe and blow the bubbles, breathe and blow the bubbles, just to know that they can start to learn to know how they can breathe into their body, um, regulate themselves. Um, It could mean that um, as they get older, if they've um, got issues around um, grief and loss, there can be some things that are happening for them. They can... um, you know, you know, they can have a big pad and pen there, pens, so that they can draw. They can write if they have a journal. They can write in their um, journal, so they they know that their feelings. They can regulate themselves, and um, and teaching them how to regulate themselves rather than trying to find, uh, trying to to um, do it for for them, is really important. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of blowing the bubbles to promote breathing regulation before. And I've never seen it done that way. And I think that 
is amazing to be able to see, to now connect the use of it. Mm. Uh, well, the kids love it because, um, you know, it, when they're getting out of control, if you if you can just get them to, to breathe and blow, you know, they're blowing the bubbles, breathe, blow, blow. And so it helps them to know that breathing is going to help them later on in life when you can start to get them to sort of breathe into their body and feel the breath going down and you feel their feet firmly on the ground, all that sort of thing. Uh, it, it just It's when they're younger that just helps them to sort of know that, you know, it's it's just uh, help re- regulation and emotional um, measure, emotional regulation as well. Well, that is that is a really good tip, and I'm now going to pass that down to every parent of one of my friends, every one of my friends who have kids, and say yeah. always keep keep um, bubbles handy. Yes, yeah, that's lovely. I I used to always do it with the kids, the little ones in the in the counselling room. Yeah. Oh, that is that is incredible incredible. This leads us really well into the last segment of the show, which is an open mic. It gets you to communicate directly to the audience and share anything that you are passionate about. Um, it doesn't have to be related to the topic we're here today, but it is definitely something that we would love to have in the last few minutes or so. Just we'd love to give you the floor and talk with our audience directly. Oh, thank you so much, Gina. Um I would really love to talk about the two children's books that I have written. Uh, It's talking about uh, feelings and parents being able to talk to their children about feelings and their emotions is is such a great passion of mine. And I wrote two children's books. I don't know whether I can hold them up and show them. I don't know. Uh, Would that that work? Okay. Um, It's called The Good Bad Feelings Diary. This is about... Uh, to help parents, I think. Um, It's for children up to about the age of eight um, so that what they can do is they can look at different feelings and different emotions and um, like say, for example, this is is when I'm I'm feeling good Um, and then it goes on, good good feelings matter because they make me feel happy and, and all that. But then it goes into, um, I like my good feelings. So this is just to help people to know that they can also have angry feelings. So my mum and dad um, and people in my life like it when I show my good feelings. However, uh, but when bad feelings begin to happen, this is me feeling bad. And then it goes into... um, that they don't like their bad feelings. They don't like the way they feel. So um, then they um, they cry. So, and then, as I said, they become very tired because it's exhausting. And so they don't feel as though they're right when they have their bad feelings and their parents get quite upset with them. But then, um, you know, so they don't like it when my bad feelings get me into trouble. But um, then things get better and I feel happy again. And this is about knowing that this is going to happen regularly. It's not just, you know, you can't be happy all the time. You're probably not going to be angry all the time. But it's okay. Then he might get his angry feelings back. And then um, they know that um, mum, this in this way, mum, one day my, my mum sat next to me and told me my feelings were le- letting me know something wasn't right. 
So mum sat with her and then they were able to talk about it and they were able to talk it through. So mum was there to listen and that's the most important thing a parent can do is to listen and that's where the self-regulation comes in and just be able to breathe and hold yourself as they talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically wanted to bring this one in because I think it's really hard sometimes for fathers because they struggle to be able to talk to their sons in particular about how they feel. And sometimes it's really hard because boys will grow up and, you know, they'll be told, oh, you don't be a sissy, you know, boys don't cry or whatever. And it's really hard to get that message and it's quite damaging. So I particularly wrote this because this is where that says, it was great when dad shared his happy, sad, angry feelings with me and told me that it's, it's okay to cry, that dad cries when he feels sad. So it was really important that that part was really important to me to bring in. And then it's just about feelings are special, you know, even when they're sad and angry ones. It, all feelings are special. They all matter. And uh, they like it when they're, they're um, you know, that they have somebody to talk to. It can be a, fet, a pet or a friend. So that's sort of, I wrote that so that parents can actually understand and get a better understanding about feelings. Um and then, and the child as well. But then I wrote this one, I got this one, I did this one as well because this is for the child. So it's my very own Good Bad Feelings Diary workbook. So what they get to do is, this is specifically these. So they get to write about themselves. Um, they get to, to, to write who they are, what they like, their little things that they like. Then they get to look at their emotions. They can choose emotions. Then they get to, um, they have four weeks. So they get a, a page for each day for four weeks. And then on the mm-hmm. Sunday, they get, they can write the feelings, whatever their feelings are. Like um, it's, um, my feelings were and I am now. So my feelings were for the beginning of the day, end of the day, it's they are feeling this way. And then um, on the Sunday, they get to draw or write about their feelings for the week. So it's just helping children to begin to um, know that they can write about it, they can draw about it, they can do whatever they like. They don't have to hold them in. And mm-hmm. if they've got somebody that, that can, you know, significant person in their life that can they can talk to, that's wonderful as well. So that's just a sort of a little help for kids and for parents too. So, but I really enjoyed writing um, those and. They, if anybody's interested, of course, they can, um, you can see them on my website, um, jandalebaylesscounseling.com.au or through, they're available on eBay. I can write all that up well, at the that, end. Yes, yes. I, I think we'll have that down in the description below. So if they want to purchase the books, they're able to find it on your website? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, I will definitely have the link down to your website below. Um, If there is a way that audience members would also like to contact you personally as well, do they just go that through the website as well? They can, or they can do mail at jambaylisscounseling.com.au. And I'd love to hear from anybody. Yes. And I think a lot of parents would love to get to talk to you as well, especially when talking about those books. Because to me, when I was um, looking into them a little bit more, 
it's amazing just how descriptive it is without being too much for a child and also a parent to understand. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes, no, I think I think it's amazing. And I love the way that it's drawn as well. I think I was showing my sister because she's also a graphic designer and she has done book uh, illustrations before as well. And I love that it is so well illustrated when it comes to the colors. And because I know a lot of young kids, they love bright colors. So I think that's very, it's very effective. Yes, and I love it. I like the fact, you know, I want it to be in the multicultural as well, you know, so it's all children of different um, cultures. So, yes. No, I think I think that is amazing. It, it's it's amazing that you're able to sort of do that in a way that that suits both parent and child to sort of even just communicate a little bit more about it and just talk a little bit more about emotions even after the book is done. So I think yes. it's commendable what you're doing. Thank you very much, Gina. That's very kind of you. And I also do want to thank you for coming on and taking time out of your Monday and joining me on the show and talking about effective communication because it's not something that you just, you can't just go ahead and Google what effective communication is. There's a whole lot of discussions as to how it comes about and I'm really glad that we got to talk about it today. Thank you so much, Gina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on.